crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctigal. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of our official participation in Jerusalem archaeology. Uh, back in 1968, December 1st, there was a very important meeting that took place. Uh, we would definitely deem it as important. Uh, when our founder, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, met with Israel's president at the time, that was Zalman Shazar, and they met in the president's residence. And the meeting was to make official the partnership between Ambassador College, of which Mr. Armstrong was the, the chancellor and founder, and Hebrew University. It was going to be a 50-50 partnership um, for excavations to take place on territory that had just been made available uh, to excavations because of the Six-Day War here in Jerusalem. On the second half of today's show, I'm going to talk about the importance of that meeting and the 50 years of fruitful um, partnership that has resulted from it. Before I get to that, though, I do want to just go through a little bit of some feedback that we've received online, both from Facebook and also just emails written into the program. If you do, if you would like to write to our program, you can do so by emailing letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Oh, thank you also to Christopher Reams for taking the show last week. He was talking about Adam and Eve and looking at it uh, from a scientific standpoint, as well as from what the Bible says as well. Really encourage you to go back and listen to that. He also wrote an article about that as well, The Case for Adam and Eve. It's called, it's up on Watch Jerusalem right now. It's been there for about a week. And um, if it goes off the front page, you can just go ahead and, and search for Adam and Eve and it should pop up. And that gives a basic rundown of what he went through in the podcast. Just a couple of comments from Facebook on that. First from Rafael Peretz from Tel Aviv. Just a bit of a joke, I guess. It says, Eve said to Adam, do you love me? Adam responded, do I have a choice? Smiley face. So start off with a bit of a lighthearted one. The second uh, comes from Nazareth. And this is from... um, I can't pronounce that that name, so I'm not going to try and butcher it. Um, It says this, responding to this article, The Case for Adam and Eve. Thank you. These podcasts are very educational and interesting. However, I would like to know how you explain that many ancient stories are mentioned in ancient civilizations, and gives the example of Sumerians, Chinese, Egyptian, before they were mentioned in the Torah. And so she's saying, well, you know, these these stories or biblical events um, are mentioned also in secular documents from before the Bible, from before the, the Torah is written. So did the Torah copy um, the other events because it was written? Or does it mean that the Torah copied um, those other documents from those different uh, peoples? Well, if we are talking about the book of Genesis, um, written around, I would say, 1500 BCE, um, that describes earlier events that took place. We just don't have an earlier earlier record of it. Uh, Moses wrote that down, um, but he was describing events that took place a lot earlier. But to, to, to say just because somebody else wrote it down first, 
Um, that doesn't mean that it was copied by the Torah, though. They were just recording their personal experience that they had, and different nations recorded their own history. And so by the time we came to Moses writing the Torah, um, he's going to write down the history that took place. And he obviously would have had different documents to, to write uh, from. Those haven't been preserved. But the history there for the previous three and a half thousand years, um, he had to record. And so he did, um, perhaps, perhaps that was from divine revelation, but also uh, it could have been uh, from other documents that didn't survive to this day. Um. There was also a couple of comments on Facebook in response to the article about the discovery of the Solomonic Wall. Um, one uh, person from Jerusalem, Alatashish, writes this: "Wonderful discoveries of our history. Nobody could have said could say you are not from here. Indeed, three thousand years of history does." Um, pack a punch as far as determining whether the Jews and the Israelites were here in this land. I mean, you put a spade in the ground anywhere here in Jerusalem, and you will find, more often than not, I should say, um, history. And if you find history, you'll find that history going back to the Jewish period for sure. Just a couple of general letters that came through, one from Oklahoma. Um, this is addressed to myself and Christopher Eames. I want to thank a big I wanted to say a big thank you for all your work on the recent articles and podcasts proving the Bible with science and archaeology. I've been able to use proofs you have mentioned in answering questions for our children. It's exciting to be able to use the Bible and physical proof to disprove evolution and prove the Bible. I have found the information so enlightening and inspire and inspiring. It's also hugely ironic that we can use proven scientific fact to disprove a theory that those same scientists hold on to with blind faith. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much for that. It's really good to hear that um, those articles are getting um, more of a use, uh, even to the young people. Um, a comment here from Iceland. Shalom to you. I would very much like to get some 20 issues of your booklet about the stones talking. So he's speaking about the exhibit brochure, the, the seals of, of Hezekiah and Isaiah discovered brochure. 20 copies he wants. I want to send these to churches and ministers here in Iceland so that they may know all these important facts. I would gladly pay for, for them, for all of them, as well as postage. God bless you. From Snorri. Oskarsson in Iceland again. So we're, we're reaching um, different people from all around the world. I do want to just comment briefly on a discovery that was made uh, this past week. And that was, if you've, uh, if you've checked your local news here in Israel, you would have seen this. This was a ring that was inscribed with the name Pilatus or of Pilatus. This is a copper alloy ring. It was discovered in, at excavations in Herodium back in 1968 to 69, so 50 years ago as well. But then a new study of that ring was requested by the current excavation director. And as that was restudied, um, the, the ring itself, it actually is, is quite easy to read. I'm, I'm surprised that it, wasn't, it didn't come out uh, previously that it said pilot. It also has um, 
a crater which probably held wine or something like that in the middle of the ring. And so this ring would have been used as a, as a stamp seal as well. What's, what's interesting about this and who this pilot character is, um, he's known from, from historical sources um, as being the, the prefect or the, the Roman governor that was over the territory of Judea from 26 uh, CE all the way through to 36 CE, so about 10 years. And if you look at the, the Roman governors from this period, um, he was one of the longer um, serving um, prefects. He was um, stationed in Caesarea. That was where the Roman headquarters was. And then he would travel to Jerusalem a couple of times a year, definitely during um, Pesach, the Days of Unleavened Bread. And also Sukkot, he would come and just to make sure that the, the Jews weren't starting some type of insurrection or rebellion. Um, but he is also attested to in history from, um, or in archaeology, from another inscription that was found um, some years ago in Caesarea, right where the Roman, where the Herod the Great uh, built up a city and then the Roman prefects would live and govern the territory from. Um, there was an inscription there, a stone slab inscription. You can see it in the Israeli Museum today. It's 2,000 years old, and it says the prefect of Judea, uh, Pontius Pilatus. And so another reference to this historical figure from 2,000 years ago. A very important historical figure in terms of, of describing events from the b- biblical uh, period. And so if you would like to read up more about that, I'll leave a link to the article itself. And so you can understand how important this figure was. It's just a really interesting time period as far as the the, the political scene in Judea goes, um, given that they would the Jews would eventually rebel from the Romans, rebel against the Romans um, about 40 years after uh, he was in power or 35 years after Pontius Pilate was in power. And you had um, the Romans that understood that this territory was prone to insurrection, and the fact that it was right on the right on the border of its of the Roman Empire at the time, uh, the Parthian Empire was rather strong. Um, that they wanted to ensure that they could keep everybody under control here, and that's the reason why this was made. Judea was made a Roman imperial province, governed directly by Caesar's representative. It wouldn't go through. Um, the, 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 the Senate. Anyhow, again, you can go back and, and I'll leave a link for an article uh, about this discovery of the ring of Pontius Pilate. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we, we will discuss our 50 year history here working in Jerusalem and um, look forward to um, the many years ahead. Please don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Watch Jerusalem on kpcg.fm. Thank you for listening. Fifty years ago, on December 1st, 1968, there was a really important meeting, at least for our work, uh, that took place at the residence of Zalman Shazar, the third president of Israel. He was there to receive Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, who was the founder of Ambassador College, 
the precursor to Armstrong College that, that we're associated with today. And he was meeting with him because Mr. Armstrong had actually requested this meeting. He asked, Mr. Armstrong did, Dr. or Mr. Joseph Avaram. Mr. Joseph Avaram is still alive right now, and he recalls this meeting well. He's 102. Um, he wanted to have a meeting with the president to give him a check. Uh, in the months previous, Mr. Armstrong had talked a lot with um, Mr. Joseph Avaram, who is the head and, and just retired from being the head or the president of, of the Israel Exploration Society. And Professor Benjamin Mazar, who was the, um, who had just been the, the dean or uh, the president over at um, Hebrew University and, and one of the premier biblical archaeologists in Israel, he was the first one to be granted a license um, to, to have an excavation in Israel. That is a, a Jewish um, excavator uh, back in the, the 20s or 30s, I believe. And so they were meeting all together. At the, prime, at the president's residence of Zalman Shazar with this check because there was a massive excavation that was about to get underway. And Mr. Armstrong wanted to meet the, the president because he realized how important archaeology would be to the state of Israel. Now, up to this point, if we're talking about the time period, um, up to the time of the Six-Day War, just thereafter, all the excavations that were done in ancient Jerusalem um, and in, in, Jeru- and in um, the ancient parts of Judea and Samaria as well, um, they were done under the auspices of the, of the Jordanians. The Jordanians were in control of that territory, and it was hard, if not impossible, for a Jewish excavator to get in there and dig. And so when the Six-Day War broke out um, and Jordan decided that it was going to attack Israel... Um, of course, Israel did a preemptive strike on Egypt, but then um, Levi Eshkol, the prime minister of, of Israel at the time, warned the, warned the Jordanians not to get involved in the fight. Don't start pushing on Jerusalem, because obviously the Jordanians were in charge of East Jerusalem, including the old city. And Mr. Eshkol said, don't, don't fight against us. We're not interested in taking the old city. We're not going to take Jerusalem. But then um, they were provoked and they were attacked. Um, and the king of Jordan sent in his troops, and so Israel responded. And by the end of the six days, we had um, Israel now controlling all of Jerusalem, including including the critical areas of ancient Jerusalem and the critical areas of Judea and Samaria as well, where there are a lot of the most ancient um, uh, settlements or tells uh, in Israel. And so this did this was very exciting for the state of Israel, especially for the in the archaeological field, just because it opened up ancient Jerusalem to be excavated for the first time by Israelis, by Israelis, and this big dig, as it was known, was um, about to begin, or it began in late, I think, or early 1968. There was one summer that they excavated um, before Ambassador College got involved. Um, but then they needed more finances and they needed help. And so Mr. Armstrong approached um, uh, Mr. Professor Mazar and also Joseph Avaram and said that we would like to contribute. Um, well, they were going to contribute at least 50 students every summer to come over for two months. They would participate on the dig each day. And then all the costs for them staying here would be, would be uh, funded by the college. And then also they wanted to give them a financial donation each year towards this excavation, this excavation went on for 10 years. And so for 10 years, 
a hundred thousand dollars. This is 1968, by the way, was given towards the excavation, not including the the price of of bringing all these student volunteers over for two months. Fifty to a hundred of them came each summer from 1968 to about 1977. And so this was a huge contribution, and Mr. Armstrong understood how important it was for the state of Israel to uncover its own history and to uncover the history of Jerusalem, how important this city is to the Bible. This city, the city that God has chosen, that David wrote so much about in the Psalms, surely there would be a lot of remains underneath the earth here uh, in Jerusalem, underneath buildings, in areas that weren't um, built up even. And if we're talking about this this area of the southern wall of the Temple Mount, where this excavation would took t- would take place, this wasn't um, you know on the Temple Mount itself. There weren't excavations that were allowed to take place on there, and so the closest they could get was this area around the southwestern side of the Temple Mount. And uh, if you've if you've or just outside the wall, so this is the the southwestern. When I say western, that's the western Wailing Wall. Um, excavations took place there in these 10 years and also the whole southern wall area. This was an absolutely massive undertaking. And for somebody to front up and say, I'm going to send you 50 people every summer for a couple of months and I'm going to give you $100,000, that was a lot of money. A lot of money. The largest contributions to these excavations were made by Ambassador College and by Mr. Armstrong and Mr. Um, obviously Mr. Uh, Professor Mazar was a little bit cautious going in because this is a huge contribution. And and so he did want to tour Ambassador College. He came with Joseph Avaram to Ambassador College in Pasadena, and they spent a few days there with Mr. Armstrong meeting the students. And after that, it put their worries um, uh, or their fears at ease. And they flew back, flew back to Jerusalem, arranged this meeting with the, the president, and then as they went to this meeting, Mr. Armstrong could hand over this check, the first installment of the funds that were going to pay for the uh, massive excavations at the southern wall of the Temple Mount. Now, to this day, um, Dr. Elot Mazar is still busy working with all of that material that was discovered, publishing the final reports of those excavations. Uh, she's, she works out of Hebrew University to this day. She works in the same office that Benjamin Mazar worked in, her grandfather, and uh, he was obviously her major mentor. And so she is busy publishing those findings because the excavations went on for so long and so much was excavated um, that Mr. Benjamin Mazar just did not have time to publish it all. But she continues that work as well as her other publication projects, as well as digging as uh, in Jerusalem also. So she is incredibly busy doing that. And so the ambassador students, they worked um, very hard. They, were, they had renown of being some of the best workers on the excavations, caring the most for, the, for, the, ex, for the, the, the earth and the artifacts that would be discovered. And really, in so many ways, that excavation did prepare the way for the continued excavations of Elot Mazar on the Ophel, or this southern area of the Temple Mount, um, beginning in uh, 1986. And then there was one season in the, in the 90s and then 2009, and our continued involvement with her to this day. But before I get to our involvement, the continuation of the, the 50-year partnership, bringing it up to this day, I would like to talk about also the other excavation that ambassador students under Mr. Armstrong's direction were sent to to help excavate. 
This was a really important excavation that took place in the city of David from 1980 to 1985 is when hundreds more ambassador students were sent over to excavate with uh, Dr. Yigal Shalot. Now, he is one of the, one of the foremost um, biblical archaeologists. I mean, it's really interesting. His, his life, he, is, he worked extremely fast. He had an, an extremely great knack for field excavation, one of the great field excavators of our time. But in 1985, or just thereafter, I think, um, uh, he actually had, a, I think it was cancer, and he died rather long, rather young. I think he was in his 50s, and he would have continued those excavations. And he would have continued the excavations uh, probably above where Dr. Elotmazar um, excavated in, on the palace area, just above areas in the Sea of David where he excavated and so he did. Um, he was one of the great teachers of the next generation of archaeology as well. And there, and again, then again, you had ambassador students there working on those excavations. And this is including, of course, there are other volunteers that work on the digs as well. Um, but Yigal Shalot said himself that if he could, he would um, field his entire workforce of volunteers and, and workers that are actually doing the grunt work on the dig with ambassador students. And if you look at the areas that they excavated through this period, it's it's quite amazing how much was uncovered. Uh, much of the stepstone structure was uncovered during this time. Um, Warren Shaft, the area around the Gihon Spring, a lot of that was re-excavated uh, by the by uh, Yigal Shalot, and then other areas on the eastern slope of the city of David. And this is obviously the most ancient part of Jerusalem. It's, it's um, it's got the Gihon Spring there, the, the only perennial water source here in Jerusalem. Um, and so this is where the civilization really did um, begin here in, in Jerusalem. And so it was so important to get back into this or get into this area and conduct excavations there. And so these students did work again all the way up until the end of the City of David excavations, um, which came uh, rather to a stunning end because of the waning health of Yigal Shalot. And if you go back and read stories about this excavation, it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of the stress on Mr. Shalot and his health was was put on um, because of the the situation involving the ultra-Orthodox um, that were trying to put a shutdown to the excavation. They were worried that Yigal Shalot was digging in a tomb. Um, he wasn't digging in a tomb. And yet they pelted the diggers with rocks and all these type of things. He had to get riot police on horses in to try and allow the excavation to even continue. Um, but that did get to be too much, I think, for, for Mr. Yigal Shalot. One young lady, one young uh, university student that was working on that excavation was Dr. Elot Mazar. This was the excavation where she received her first bit of leadership on a dig. She um, was a square supervisor uh, all under Yigal Shiloh, and so she did learn from one of the greatest uh, practice, practitioners of field archaeology, and she would take that, that education to uh, her excavations. And it's long been said that the, the most important and the, the most successful way of teaching an archaeologist is, is from the field. Nothing can run, re replace one generation of archaeologists teaching the next. And Dr. Elat Mazar received a lot of that instruction as, as in terms of field excavation um, from 
uh, Yigal Shalom. She received a lot of her education in terms of how to use the Bible appropriately in archaeology from her grandfather. He was all, always visiting her excavations and visiting the city of David when, when Elat was there and trying to get as much information as he could, pushing her to try and come up with theories of, 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 of what their finding means in, in the broader connections to the geography and also what the Bible says as well. Of course, the Bible, they're not referring to it as a theological document. Uh, Benjamin Mazar wasn't religious. Dr. Elot Mazar is not religious. And yet they look at this text and they're amazed by the, the accuracy of it, when it, when it in terms of, of talking about geography and events and how, how clearly it's laid out. Um, of course, as Dr. Mazar would say to this day, she's a little bit perturbed that they spend too much time talking about the narrative and not enough talking about what they built, um, which is, I, I guess, just uh, a typical for an archaeologist trying to uncover those remains and put the pieces together. But nevertheless, she did receive a lot of her education there uh, during those excavations from 80 to 85. Now, in 1986, Mr. Armstrong died. And the people that would take over the work of Mr. Armstrong shuttered the, the Jerusalem excavation project, decided that it was not something that they wanted to dedicate the student manpower toward. And so there was a 20-year hiatus um, in terms of archaeological impact that our work has made, because as those people took the work in a, in a different direction, away from what Mr. Armstrong had established, they lost their focus as well on the importance of Jerusalem and uncovering um, these important, biblically significant artifacts, artifacts that really bring the Bible to life. And so it would take a few more years before... Armstrong College would come along desiring to raise the ruins of Mr. Armstrong's work, and that included the excavation projects, the archaeological projects in Jerusalem. And so back in 2006, just one year after, uh, Dr. Elot Mazar had her first season at the Palace of David, we renewed our partnership with the Mazar family, sending over student volunteers. There were just three of us uh, that year. I was, uh, I guess I was about 21, just to, had just turned 21 um, back then. And we got to come over and work for about six months on the excavation, the second season of the Palace of David excavation, or the excavation at the summit of the City of David, as it is otherwise known. Um, and what has happened since that time is that we have been able to send student volunteers, Armstrong College has, to every single excavation that Elot Mazai has worked on, uh, she told me recently that she just feels like our partnership now is so strong with, with her and her family, and it goes back so long um, that it cannot be broken. That, of course, was something that Mr. Armstrong desired to um, set up with the state of Israel and archaeology back 50 years ago. It was, in fact, uh, Moshe Cole, the tourism minister back in 1968, that talked to Mr. Armstrong saying that he wanted to establish as well this iron bridge relationship between Ambassador College, Jerusalem Archaeology, Hebrew University, an iron bridge that won't be broken ever. And here we are continuing this relationship to this day. Now, the excavations that Dr. Elot Mazar has, has conducted um, in this really important, important and sensitive part of Jerusalem have yielded so many important discoveries of biblical um, significance. 
We're talking about King David's palace. There are some people that would disagree about it being King David's palace. Um, I would just re- I would just request you go back and, and listen to my program, the dating of the Palace of David. It's I think it's got about fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred um, listens so far, at least the ones that we can track on SoundCloud. And then you can go and see some of the proof for that and make up your own mind. But there's that King David's Palace, Nehemiah's Wall, which was really a tower that was set up by Nehemiah. A tower meaning a rock, rocky outcropping from the wall that kind of stabilizes the wall. Um, that was discovered back in 2007. Up to that time, there wasn't much from Nehemiah's time in Jerusalem that was discovered at all. And then if you talk about that excavation as well, in the city of David, you also had two seal impressions uh, from the book of Jer- Jeremiah with men f- named from the book of Jeremiah, from Jeremiah chapter 38 and verse 1, um, Jeukal and Gedaliah, two princes or royal officials that tried to have Jeremiah the prophet killed. They, uh, they were discovered in those excavations as well. And then as we move towards the Ophel, which is just a geographic term to describe this, this area between the northern part of the city of David, which was the ancient city. This was the city that David conquered, and then he called it the city of David after he conquered it. And then the city expanded northwards with his palace, and then King Solomon came along and expanded northwards onto the Ophel area, or the Ophel area. And this is where we continue excavating and had our last season earlier on, um, or most recent season earlier on in this year. Um, this area has yielded some stunning discoveries from King Solomon's time, most notably that the buildings itself, uh, just massive walls, massive architecture, massive uh, planning. It looks like a lot of central planning was involved in this area from Solomon's time as well. Uh, Dr. Mazar is still coming out with the final reports of this area, and she's busy working on that at Hebrew University. There was also the two seal impressions, one of King Hezekiah of Judah, the first king um, or seal impression of a king from the Bible, Israelite or Judean, that has ever been discovered in the right archaeological context. That was discovered there back in two thousand, unearthed in two thousand and nine, and and uh, the correct reading was made in two thousand and fifteen, and then just earlier this year, um, the the seal of the prophet Isaiah discovered really close uh, to that area in the same strata of soil, just a, probably about twenty or thirty centimeters above bedrock, just outside the the city wall, a couple of meters away from where the Hezekiah bullet was found. And so two stunning discoveries of, of biblical import found from that excavation as well. And we were had the chance to be there with her for, for all of those. We've also had the chance to have, have the world premiere, premiere of both Gedalia and Jeukal. Um, they were shown back at our Oklahoma campus for a couple of years, in fact, back in 2012 onwards. And right now we have the archaeological exhibit seals of Isaiah and King Hezekiah discovered. We got those and they are on exhibit right now till the end of January. So if, if you are in the United States and somewhere close, go by, go by and, and look at that. I just had an email from somebody that just um, visited there a couple of days ago. They're so impressed by it. Um, they want to use the resources that we have, the materials, the pictures that we have online on Watch Jerusalem to try and get the message out about these stunning discoveries. And they really are. I mean, I had the chance to go to a dinner a couple of weeks, or was it a couple of months ago now, early October, to a journalist's house over here, Melanie Phillips. And she had a lot of um, 
just a lot of her friends over and a lot of other journalists over. And I was just constantly being barraged by questions and, and people that were excited about the discoveries um, of Dr. Elot Mazar's excavations, asking when we're going to go back, asking about whether they're really that good or how we know for sure. And so it was something really special for me to be able to, to be there and, and um, talk, to, talk to these Jerusalemites about what's being covered been uncovered in, in ancient Jerusalem and what's been still is still being uncovered in this area. Now, the question that always comes up is when are we going back? When are we going to get to excavate more? And and that is, is something we are always interested in. And as soon as Dr. Elot Mazar obtains a, another license um, for an excavation, we'll be back there with her. We are just very excited to be able to continue the 50-year partnership that started back with Mr. Armstrong and Professor Benjamin Mazar and now has continued on uh, through Armstrong College and Dr. Elot Mazar. And if you look at the discoveries that were made in ancient Jerusalem through this time period because of this partnership, it's it's startling, and I don't want to sound proud or, or boastful. We're just excited to be a part of this, excited to dedicate resources, money, students, brain power to the uncovering of Jerusalem's history. And we just want to be able to continue to do this for as long as possible. And we're so grateful to the Mazar family for allowing us to participate and uh, be partners with them in this feat. Now, if you would like to know more about our namesake, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, and his work here in Israel, that was far bigger than just the archaeological field. He met with um, all the prime ministers and presidents, uh, conversing with them, talking about serious issues inside the Middle East and elsewhere in the world. All the prime ministers from 1968 till his death in 1986, um, he got personal audiences with with all of those and committed a lot of money and other resources to uh, more humanitarian projects in the city as well. We do have a booklet about him. It's entitled Warm Friend for Israel. It'll give you all this interesting history of not just Mr. Armstrong's work, but also how we continued on with that. You can write to us, if you like, letters at watchjerusalem.co.il to receive that booklet. Just simply put your name and address and we'll send it to you for free. Or you can go to the website and hit the literature tab and go down and request the booklet that way. I'd also like to let you know that we do have about a 10-minute video, little mini documentary, that we uh, prepared for the opening of the Seals of of Hezekiah and Isaiah uh, Discovered exhibit that goes through this history, and and it's very visually compelling as well. Um, And that's that's available right now for you to watch at watchjerusalem.co.il. Just scroll down, and it's the featured video, and it'll be up there for another week or so. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening into the program and and going through some of this history, exciting history uh, with me. We're excited to look forward to the future of more archaeological discoveries coming out of Jerusalem. Again, if you'd like to give us some feedback, please do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il.